And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Bodybuilding.com podcast. My name is Nick Coleus. I'm an editor in this palace, this well-decorated this, yeah. palace. Uh, so is Heather Eastman. She's also a physique judge and competitor. And you know who else is a bodybuilder? This guy. Uh, he's Dr. Darren Willoughby. He is a professor at Baylor University, specialist in exercise physiology, nutrition, strength, and conditioning. He teaches TRAPS 301, right? <laughs> so they say. <laughs> uh, but he's done studies on protein, protein sources, blending, the effects of training on genetics, a whole bunch of stuff. You go start looking around for Willoughby on PubMed, and you'll get you'll get oh, yeah. an eyeful. Um, also competed as a bodybuilder, played semi-pro football into your 40s. Now, do you still compete as a bodybuilder? In I do. Wow. Okay. Because I saw something a few years ago where you were talking about it in the present tense. I wasn't sure if you're still doing that. Nope. I, uh, I'm still doing it presently. Huh. Um, presently, like you're six weeks out right now? Well, I wish. Uh, actually, uh, I'll have to wait and see in the coming year because I'm actually having my my left knee totally replaced uh, next month, so we'll we'll see how that uh, how that impacts my ability to maintain my uh, my lower body training. What, sure. To see sure. whether or not I'll That's be able to stay. Days. I guess I could always uh, go down into physique. Mm -hmm. And put on board shorts because I don't need legs for that, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Which one's more crowded? Least, although, although <laughs> I have to admit, I, I don't know that I want to end up losing like sixty or seventy pounds of my uh, muscle mass. To be able to <laughs> this is a lifetime physique, here. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's taken me thirty years to acquire it. I don't know that I want to uh, eat it away uh, in several months. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, so, so so why do you keep doing that? As as somebody who has a who has a full life family, you have uh, an academic life. You you know, why why continue with with something as demanding as competitive bodybuilding? Well, one, I enjoy it. Um, at this point in my life, it's more of a hobby than anything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's not how I make my living. It's not how I take care of my family. Um, you know, I, I have a day job, so to speak. And so, you know, it's one of those things where I'll, I'll always train. I'll always train as long, you know, as long as I'm able to. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, I like to compete because, you know, it gives, it, you know, it gives me a bit more to train towards you know i don't really need a whole lot to be able to inspire and, and, and to push me because I, I i enjoy it but it does help you know you you kind of set you know set short and long long-term goals for yourself and you know and the other thing is if i'm able to do it then why not sure and so if you've been i mean I, I could ask you how old you are that's a very personal question well i'll be i'll be 54 next month okay. okay so you've been going to the gym how many times a week for the last 30 years would you say oh i've been going to the gym at, at least four to five times a week for the last 30 years there was a time where i took a kind of a hiatus away from competing when i went to grad school and then but i, I never took a hiatus away from training uh always train obviously competing and prepping and it is demanding because not only physically, but you know, as you well know, it's the it's the mental. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're when you're preparing for a show, 
there, there's really not a time during the day where you're not thinking about something. Am I on point about my about my meal prep, my training? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm this that. So you know, it it does take a lot of uh, 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 psychological demand, emotional demand away. Um, you know, I, I was competing back in the you know mid to late 80s just a, a lot you know and i got myself in the npc nationally qualified but then i realized that i finally was honest with myself and told myself i wasn't going to be the next mr olympia mm-hmm. and then i probably needed to find a way to make a living other than that and so that's when i decided to go back to grad school and then like i said after i got out of grad school then i was in the process of starting my career and training, but I wasn't competing at the same time. And so once I, I, I stopped doing that, then I decided to, you know, I wanted something else to be able to kind of occupy my time and, and kind of kind of fill that void. You know, it's just I'm, there's that part of me that there's that, that drive and that void to be able to find some way f- – a physical demand to push myself. Sure. It's not a team sport. I don't, I don't depend on others. I only depend on myself. Mm-hmm. And that, that's – that's nice, you know, sure. because and you know I've started competing in the newly formed uh, global bodybuilding organi- organization, That's and so I've got my I got my pro status in that a couple of years ago, and and now I'm uh, uh, I'm judging, and I'm the one of the Texas head judges, and actually one of the directors of judging for the entire GBO, and so that's been quite a. That's been quite a, an undertaking because, you know, we're now in, I don't know, uh, you know, like 15, 16 different countries. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to get everybody, all the judges from not only the, all the different states, we're in like over 35 states in the U.S. now, mm-hmm. not only in the states, but, you know, in India and in Asia and uh, in Brazil and uh, Mexico, all the judges on the same page criteria wise and mm-hmm. I'll always stay involved, especially on the judging on the judging front. I mean, I enjoy it. I, I just uh, sure um, it's and something I, yeah. that I'll always do. So you clearly, believe in the importance of bodybuilding and and that culture. It seems like as well, you're exporting it to the rest of the world. Right. What, what is it? What is it about that about that culture that that you like so much? And how is it different in that in the masters level? Like, who? What is what is the backstage culture like for for you with the guys that you're competing against? Is it well, friendly? Is it competitive? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, when I in the GBO, when I got my pro card, I got my pro card in the oak, in the open division. So you know, I beat all these young pups. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. and I won you know the super heavyweight division and and my masters division. Uh-huh. But now, I mean, you know, I would would I would only be competing going forward. You know, in in the in the in the masters. Taking division. it easy on them now. Yeah. Well, yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> On multiple levels, you know, I just feel so in, eternally blessed every day. And in in one capacity is I'm still able to do, I'm still able to work out and train at the level in which I do. You know, and the other thing is, it's you know, it's kind of nice to be able to go into the gym and and be able to totally outdo, you know, three quarters of the guys that I see that are half my age. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not only not, not only how much weight I'm pushing, but the volume and the okay. intensity in which I'm doing it. You know. And physique wise, and so on and so forth, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of fun. But but on top of it, I think it's also a way for me to um, be a bit of a, an ambassador for uh, for the older folk, you know, to say, you know, this is something that we can do our entire life, you know, guys that I went to high school with, and that you guys when I went to college with as an undergrad, you know. And I don't. I'm not being judgmental or anything else, but because we all know, you know what, life gets in the way. Sure. You know, and you, we just have to find a way. I've been, I guess, I've been fortunate enough that I've always tried to keep my health and my and my out 
and my outlook in terms of my overall wellness um, is a priority so that life didn't get in the way too much. There were struggles along the way, you know, when my when both my daughters were babies and you know, and all there's times when things were going up, you know, just times I couldn't, I couldn't make it to the gym, you know, or this, that, and the other, or, you know, it's just, like I said, it's just, it's all, it doesn't stop when you it turn 35, stop. you know, or when you turn 40 and it's like, oh my God, everything's downhill from there. You know, it, it you have more control than you think. Exa exactly. And speaking of that, speaking of, you know, going up to these younger guys, is there something, even though you've been relatively health conscious your whole life, you know, you have three decades of competing under your belt. Is there something that you wish you could have told your younger self that you know now? Because this is a sport that is very hard on the body. I'm sure there's nothing. Right? <laughs> you, you knew it all from the start. Right? <laughs> and so to the to the 20-something-year-old and 30-something-year-old wow. guys that are listening right now, is there are there any mistakes you made or that you saw some of those guys make that are now not competing because of that? that that's a really good question. Um, I think probably what I've learned most over time, sometimes it's better to train smarter, not harder. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't always train hard, but what I'm saying is that, you know, there are, t there are times when we should make modifications in our training schedule so that we can train, we could be smarter about the approach. When I was younger, I didn't really know any better. You know, I didn't have the years under my belt. Mm -hmm. I didn't have lots of years under my belt. I didn't have, you know, some of the wisdom that I have now. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't have the the education and the knowledge that I have now. And so that's what, you know, I, I try to do that not only in people that I, you know, that I interact with, say, in the gym, but also with my, my own students about things that we talk about in class that are not necessarily simply just specific to the content of the class, you know, it's things, the sidebars, the little, the little, uh, the little ramblings off to the side that, you know, the, it's the, the students that come to my office and ask me questions about training and this, how should I do this? How should I do that? You know, back when I first started, there wasn't internet, right? Mm -hmm. Just magazines. There just <laughs> was no internet. In you know, everybody you didn't have did. a computer. Yeah. I mean, you know, the first computer I had was an Atari computer mm -hmm. back when I and, and when I was working on my masters. You know, an Atari computer, an Atari computer. Are you sure it was? A, you weren't just playing Pac-Man when no, you were supposed to no, be playing. No, you doing your master's no, thesis? I didn't know. I, it, okay. When that computer came out, Pac-Man wasn't even created yet. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about we're talking about like 1987. Uh -huh. So I didn't have the you know the ability to to you know access. PubMed or or a lot out, you know, I got a lot out of like Muscle and Fitness magazine and then when Flex started, you know, started being published and, you know, that was that was kind of my, my you know, my primary source of information. And then, you know, the the National Strength and Conditioning Association had, was was just out in, in, in its infancy. Some of their publications were starting to come out, you know, their strength and conditioning journal and stuff. And so, you know, I started reading and just trying to educate myself as much as possible. So, I, you know, I guess I would say is it would be it would have been nice to at least have some amount of knowledge or the ability to to more easily educate oneself back then i really i went to my and started working on my phd before i started really began to delve way way into that mm -hmm. um and when, when that when you started doing that did you have a moment where you went oh my god all these things these muscle mags have been telling me are well, complete you know, bs that, you or know what, is that, the opposite that's a good question because you know my phd was was a lot of basic science i mean it was a lot of like lab science types of stuff so i mean it wasn't like um, you know, and even though my specialization was muscle physiology and biochemistry, 
you know, it wasn't, it, you know, we didn't spend much time talking about, you know, what's the best way to do a bench press? What's the best way to structure your training program? Mm -hmm. uh, none of that stuff, you know, even though I had gotten the, the CSCS, the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist exam through the NSCA, and that helped. But like I said, almost all my knowledge, it was all nerd, nerdy type of stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So it and didn't that, feel like the same project? Oh, no. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, you know, it was, it was like I said, it was all bio, biochemistry lab stuff, working at the bench, you know. Do you but, keep um, them pretty separate still, or do you feel like, did they, did they well, come together? you know, what's been, what's been interesting is that over the, it, 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 but, you know, as I began to learn all of that, mm -hmm. and with the knowledge that I, that I already had kind of in a more practical sense from my, my lifting and some of the experience that I've garnered that way, then I kind of started mar to marry the two, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the more kind of applied practical knowledge that I had uh, and the more basic science knowledge that I that I was gaining mm -hmm. in grad school and and I've continued to do that even to this day I mean it does nothing's changed it's helped me to be able to understand understand the body on more on a basic level when I say basic I mean it's the cellular molecular type of mm -hmm. level and understand how the body works and responds that way to different types of, of stressors that we, you know, exercise obviously being one of them, to be able to use those applications to say, okay, now this is likely the, a more effective way to structure mm. a workout. And the other component is nutrition. I mean, I knew nothing about nutrition way back then. I mean, I, I remember some of my, my first bodybuilding shows prepping. I had no clue what I was doing diet-wise, mm. you know. I remember one show that I came in, and, you know, I, I, I came in pretty lean, but, but, but I was, like, eating nothing for, like, I don't know, six, eight weeks, and I lost a ton of muscle mass, you know, and I was like, Probably I look back on pictures now. Oh, I, oh, I, oh yeah. it was it was awful. I remember. Oh yeah, it was terrible. I was like eating like no carbs, and it was just you know. Now I look back, I was like, that is the absolute worst thing that I could have done. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I work with people on the side and do a lot of prepping for physique competitors, whether it's female or male, whether it's bikini or, or physique or bodybuilding, and I enjoy doing that. And because now it's allowed me to be based on what I've learned. And what I understand about, you know, biochemistry and metabolism, you know, right. it's definitely helped me uh, to be able to take a better uh, approach as a, sure. as a practitioner mm. as well. So, so, that, so that marriage of, of your practitioner exactly. and, your, and the scientist in you, what, is, what does that look like in action? Is it, does, it, does it make for a simpler training experience or uh, how, how is it different than what you grew up learning? You know, um, we're, look, we're looking for the sets and reps here. Well, and actually, I kind of want to do that. Eight, eight, idea. eight by three, that's the answer. Uh, I, I remember years ago, I don't know, it was like in the late 80s maybe, I went to a um, – was living in Austin. Uh, there was a training seminar at, 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 at one of the Gold's gyms there, and it was uh, it was uh, by, by Lee Haney, one of the mm -hmm. former sure. Mr. Olympians. Stimulate, don't annihilate. And he, I remember him saying, he said that, that whole topic, <laughs> and I remember him saying about – Recovery being so important, he said, the idea is, is that you want to stimulate the muscle to grow, not kill it. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, taking that in, and because my approach was just to go kind of annihilate Destroy. it. Destroy. And I remember taking that in, it's like, okay. And now over the years, based on what I've learned, not only, you know, educational-wise, but now from my own experience, particularly now that I've gotten older, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know— as unbelievably simplistic as that statement was, how much impact that ha that has 
Oh yeah. On multiple levels, mm-hmm. and I still use it. I quote him, and I give him. I get always give him credit for the quote. Routinely, I have a lady right now that I'm I'm prepping for an upcoming show, and she is just relentless. She is ballistically relentless. And I have to tell her, I said, you just have, you, you can't be like this all the time. You've mm-hmm. got to know when to back off. And it was just like three or four days ago, I told her, I said, I once heard Lee Haney say one time, he goes, the idea is to, is to stimulate the muscle to grow, not kill it. And when she looked at me like I'd fallen off the third rock. You know, <laughs> yeah, we women still, telling you to be a quitter. Species. Is <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I found that. All or nothing. Oh, yeah. I found that, 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 that prepping females versus males, it is completely and entirely mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And there's just a, there's a narrative of suffering that, that we've heard over and over again, people. And Heather, Heather's talked about this a lot. Like, you get plugged in to the competitive culture. You, you go you, and you have a coach. Maybe it's luck of the draw. You have a good coach or a bad coach. Mm-hmm. Your bad coach might be the one who just says, all right, this is the way. It's going to be hard, and you believe it, and you sign up for everything. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't have to be that way. I was, I've started working, and, she, and uh, she's actually my, uh, uh, my cousin, and she did her first show in um, figure last year, and her mother was keeping me abreast. Her mother and I have been like – she's like one of my favorite cousins from when we were a little kid, but her mm-hmm. mother was keeping me abreast of her prep, and I was like, that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. It was bad, and she, she came in, and she looked okay. But anyway, the approach was so was so over the top that after it was over and she went back into training, she was so unbelievably depleted and just torn down. She went into rhabdomyolysis, and she was in the hospital for a week. Mm. Yee. It yeah. was bad stuff, bad stuff. I'm like, I mean, there is no excuse for that. Mm-hmm. Well, and going so. back to, because Nick kind of touched on it, we want sets and reps. So we don't necessarily need sets and reps, but what is one, give me one example of work smarter, not harder that you've learned personally. When that guy comes up into the gym and says, what's the secret, man? Yeah. You've been doing this for 30 <laughs> <Uh-oh>. years. <laughs> you know, is it take three days of rest, not two? What's Well, you know, one of the things that, that um, a lot of times that I, I'll ask is, you know, because I, for instance, I get the question, you know, my arms aren't growing. And so I'm going to use this to kind of lead in to answer your question. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll say, well, my arms aren't growing. He goes, I train them all the time. They're just not growing. I said, oh, so, okay. So you train them all the time. I said, how many days a week do you train them? And then, you know, give me the answer. And it's usually like, you know, at least two, sometimes three days a week. And then I'll say, okay, so what other accessory muscle groups are you training? Let's say for bicep. said, how many days a week do you train back? Oh, and then I'll ask, I'll say, okay, so how many, how many, de- what exercises are you doing for your biceps? And usually it's like four or five exercises. You, you, I mean, you, you, you get it. Cause I know you probably worked with, uh, with clients this way as well. And then that, they'll name off, you know, four, sometimes five exercises, and I'll say, how many sets and, you know, how many reps? And, of course, they have this huge over-volumous arm workout. And then I'll say, okay, back. How many times you work, you work back? And then they'll tell me, and I said, okay, well, there, there are multiple problems here. I said, because, you know, you, you, you train your biceps when you work your back. I mean, you, you know, pull-downs, rows, any of it. Mm-hmm. So I said, you're, so you're basically working your biceps almost every day of the week. And killing them. Mm-hmm. And I said, so no wonder they're not growing. So then it goes it goes back to then starting to cut way back on the volume, way back. So in like for for the biceps, it's like, okay, we're gonna drop back and we're gonna only do like these two or three exercises. And and then and then we're gonna do only, for instance, uh two days a week, mm-hmm. for instance. 
you know, it all comes back that it's not so much always just an, an absolute magical number. At least from my experience, it's found not so much a magical number on how many sets and all that. But what I found in terms of, of it's just it's just volume because over volume programs create under recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, some people call it overtraining, but becoming overtrained is physiologically actually overtrained is very very difficult. Mm-hmm. But under recovery is very easy, and you know it's you know. If we don't recover fully, then we're not going to respond as, uh, as, as optimally as we would like. And so I have found that it's usually more of an issue of just simply just volume mm-hmm. and the volume. And it could also be frequency, meaning that they're just doing way too much and they're not having, you know, they're doing way so much, way too much in a workout. And then the high frequency, they're not able to recover adequately between workouts. Yeah, so I don't know if that answers your question, but at least, you know. Do you, do you find yourself gravitating at, throughout your career toward a certain split where you're like, you know, it's just easier to not screw this up if you do it this way? You know, one of the first things that I'll typically ask them is, is okay, so let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about life, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> start start <laughs> with the next small topic. What's your, what, what is your lifestyle like? What is your schedule like? You know, and because – Let's take that and and what about your daily schedule could pe- perhaps be modified relative to your training and, and what can't, you know, work for most people. Okay, they can't get around that. Sometimes school, if they're in school, it's hard to get around that with their class schedule, for instance, or, you know, other, you know, responsibilities at home or, you know, with the kids, I got to go take my kids to soccer practice or whatever the case may be. So are there, there are those types of things that, you know, at least maybe for the next six or eight weeks are, are you know, they're kind of untouchable relative to just life. And so that being said is that we start there and then, and then, and then start working, integrating the you know the training program in within that because what I found is that if it doesn't fit their schedule then they're not they're not going to stay with it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Then it's not to. So it's bite off more than they can chew. Exactly. All the time here. Because you know it's like I can't you know and it's and I I've known sometimes trainers will always say it don't matter this is the way it's going to be and you're just going to have to find a way to make it work. Well you know what guess what I mean a person's you know we all have to do what we have to do within the course of our day and mm-hmm. so I think we have to find a way to adapt our training program around those aspects of our schedule that we can't change that are not really that modifiable for some people it might be getting up early in the morning and go and go doing it getting it out of the way if they're that kind of motivated and committed to do so because then they go to work and then after work then they can't go to the gym because they've got their kids are in soccer or baseball or whatever the case may be there might be a, a day or two during the week that it makes it hard and so instead there's the weekend. And so, again, the split many times, I, I think uh, what I find is it, it varies from individual to individual based on based on what their lifestyle is. And uh, once again, I, I, I have found that if it doesn't fit their lifestyle in a, in a way that makes it somewhat convenient for them to train, to exercise, and I don't mean always like going to a gym, but to exercise, then they're not going to stay with it. Same thing nutritionally. If you're going to tell people that they've got to eat broccoli – but they can't stand broccoli. Are they going to eat broccoli? No, they're not going to eat broccoli. So that's why even something like that with a diet, when I do diet programming for people, I always say, what foods do you absolutely cannot stand? Yep. <laughs> what foods can you not stand? List them for me. I'm not going to recommend something that you that, that if you're not going to like it, even if it's 
great for you. You know, I'm not going to say here's your diet and and you know and eat it and and don't complain about it right. because otherwise, I mean, do you guys like liver? Uh, no. Certain ways, certain preparations. No. So no. she doesn't like liver. So if I said <laughs> you have to eat liver, you're going to say pooey on you. I ain't. Li I'm not eating that stuff. <laughs> not you know just about anything else. Exactly. Well, yeah. You know, nutrition, diet wise, training wise, it's you know, again, it's 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 kind of the same thing. So you know this. Yeah, you know, depending key. on that, they might do two on, one off, or two on, three on in the week, and say. You know, some people, you know, maybe it's just Monday through Friday and nothing on the weekend. It may be Monday, to, you know, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday. You know, for instance, I had somebody that I was working with not too long ago said, you know, right now my weekends just won't work. I said, my kids are too involved. Wednesdays are out after work. So, and, it, and he said, I am not getting up at 530 in the morning to go work. He goes, I'm just not going to do it. I said, okay, I get it. You don't have to. He goes, Wednesdays are out. Have church. He goes, that it, that is a, that's a non-issue. Mm -hmm. I said, I get it. Okay. So that only leaves me Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I said, I get it. We can work with that. That's a lot. Yeah. Still. We can work with that. I said, that's, that, that, is, that is fine. If you don't want to work out on the weekend because that's family time, then don't work out on the weekend. I said, you know, you got I said, you got to keep wifey happy, you know, happy sure. wife, happy life type right. of thing. So, you know. So, so, so knowing everything you know as a, as a researcher as well, what do you think the minimum effective dose of strength training is? If you're like, you know what, you got to get in at least this much. Yeah, yeah everyone wants to know the minimum. Yeah, especially me. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I guess you can take the approach and look at, you know, for instance, kind of the the recommendations, for instance, from the American College of Sports Medicine, saying, you know, at least three days a week type of approach, and, right. and that may be the case, but I think it depends uh, also, you know, on intensity, volume. I mean, if somebody came in, let's say, three days a week, and they just came in and they just kind of just kind of went through the the motions, and they were just lifting weights that were just uh, just very light. I mean, you know, they're just they're just kind of going in to say that they're there, but they're not really pushing themselves. Mm -hmm. They're in there three days a week. And then you got somebody that coming in that's coming only come in Tuesday a week, but when they're there, they're they're absolutely killing it. Mm -hmm. Guess who's gonna guess who's gonna reap the greater benefits? The Tuesday a week killing it every time. As a general rule of thumb, it probably works fine. There are other issues that come into play as well. You know, I would probably say that if a person was coming in, let's say, two days a week and they were doing kind of like a total body approach type sure. of thing, they could see some improvement in that. Now, if you want to come in and be able to do something like that and be able to make improvements enough to actually be able to physique competitor, no, probably, probably not. not. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about somebody that's just from just, uh, you know, is, is just kind of a general basic fitness approach mm -hmm. to be able to improve muscle strength a bit to help to, you know, to kind of improve overall health out outlook and those types of things. Yeah. That should, something like that would be mm -hmm. good. But, you know, again, I, I would probably try to maybe err on them, maybe trying to come in maybe is a bare minimum again, maybe on that three times a week and they're doing something that it's at least moderately intensive. Sure. Or maybe if it was two times a week and they have a full life outside of it still, it's like, Hey, you, maybe you go for a walk most days. You do a yoga class once or twice a week. Those neat people. Right. <laughs> exactly. The neat <laughs> people. Right? The non-exercise non activity. Thermogenesis. Thermo yes. yes. That person yes. Who, now a name who parks over where I, I park on the edge of the parking lot. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because actually that's a very good point because there's some people that are very active in their daily schedule, but it's not something that they would consider as exercise, you know? Mm -hmm. There are a number of ways to be able to kind of work around this issue of not only, you know, stimulating muscle to for, you know, for, a, you know, for an exercise activity type of approach, but also in being able to help 
help stimulate a healthy metabolism as well. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. And uh, you, you were mentioning that you know, you're this ambassador for the older folks, which I think is an interesting way. Ambassador from the world of bodybuilding, which, you know, you hear headlines all the time saying muscle is essential to, you know, quality and length of life. We hear it more and more these days. Time Magazine had a, a big issue recently that was had a massive amount of coverage for, you know what, everybody over the age of 40, you really need to start focusing on muscle. Um, but it can be hard for somebody who's 35, 40 to commit to the idea of focusing on muscle because at that point maybe they don't want to grow at all because you want to get smaller you don't want to get bigger how do you how do you recommend working around that that problem for somebody well you know i think it all i'd also <clears throat> excuse me I, I think it all comes down to an issue of simply just body composition mm-hmm. do you want to put on muscle or at the very least maintain the muscle you have but if if you if a person feels like they've got some excess body fat they need to get rid of then just structure it in a way where you can at least stimulate stimulate your muscles to actually you know at least maintain the mass that you have. But if somebody goes from basically doing nothing to living a sedentary lifestyle, even doing just a relatively small amount of resistance related exercise, they're going they're going to get they're going to get a modest improvement from that. Mm-hmm. But you know then it comes in being able to do that, then also being able to whittle away at their fat mass as well. Yeah, but you after know, after a certain age, they're uh, especially well, right it, now, I think they're probably thinking more about fat often than muscle. Well, anyway. no, well, there's no, there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I do uh, nutritional counseling, kind of on. I have a little, kind of a little side business. I do nutritional, and most of the my clients are female, and most of them are, you know, middle middle age and above, and and that's typically, you know, the cons- their concern is most of the time that they want to lose weight. Weight, not Weight, fat. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. So here we have to do. We have to sit down. You know, you 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 know you you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And try to educate them. You know, it's not so much about total total weight. So much it's about fat weight. It's not, you know, it's about your body composition and trying to, you know. But, you know, it's just so many of them are like, you know, they want to see 10 pounds gone on the scale, you know. And I say, okay, what if you lost 10 pounds of, 10 pounds of fat and gained 10 pounds of muscle? You stand on the scale, and the and the way and the needle doesn't move. Mm-hmm. But your clothes fit differently. Mm-hmm. I said, so how would you feel about that? And they, you know, they just kind of like, hmm. Yeah. I was like, you weigh the same amount, but yet you've lost ten pounds of fat, but you've increased muscle. You know, and I try to tell them that whole you know imbalance between density of muscle and fat, and so on and so forth. I said, you know, so you're going to look amazing mm-hmm. you know i feel like this is something we heard from bill campbell this morning too basically like you know you, you have to just take a different approach where you say muscle mass different doesn't count as weight it's That's free it and, and pro- protein for him he also it's basically free calories that's right it's exactly right yep, yep. That, very good point yeah, we were talking about protein downstairs, and we kind of started getting into the whole protein because protein has that bad reputation of oh, it's going too much protein is going to destroy your kidneys. And I was researching that as as I was talking to each one of you guys. You know, I'm going back and researching it, and it all stems from one or two studies that were done on people who already had kidney disease, and somehow that's perpetuated this 40 year myth. And, right. you know, we've gotten other answers, but I want to hear your take and your explanation of why that is just complete and utter hooey. Well, I mean, <laughs> is that a, yeah. there's got to be a better word than hooey. Uh, you know, I still pretend actually, I you know what? I, I'm, I, I'm impressed. I, I, I think I was I thought I was the only one that used that word. <laughs> if it is a word, I mean, it's one I certainly identify with. <laughs> Number one is. We, I mean, we have no data to show that, you know, anything conclusively, even, I mean, 
to, and really even in disease kidneys to show that high protein intakes are going to exacerbate kidney dysfunction. Healthy individuals with healthy kidneys, there's, there's no data. Unfortunately, we don't really have a lot of data. There are some studies that, you know, of like a year's worth of data here and there, but I mean, we don't have any long-term longitudinal studies. We just don't. I would suspect even if we did, that we wouldn't see much anyway in terms of any del deleterious effects from, you know, from higher protein intakes on, on renal function, even liver. I have seen nothing that convinces me that higher protein intakes are going to create metabolic, systemic metabolic stress on either the liver or the kidneys. And for that person who's older, it could actually help them to hold on to that potentially healthy body composition, right? How, how, do, how do you feel like somebody who is, you know, who, who is in their middle age or older should, uh, should view protein as, uh, as, as a number to aim for or like a priority? Where, where should it fit in their nutritional priorities? Well, and, and that's a good question as well. And we also know that as we age, we tend to get uh, leucine resistant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the earlier study, when we first began to see this were studies that were being done in, in rodents. And now there's been some studies done in humans. And, and we still don't fully understand the mechanism for the, for the leucine yeah, this is a new term to me. I've only heard tolerance. today. Leucine, leucine resistance. Leucine it's, resistance. It's a really interesting idea. Yeah, and so what that means is that, uh, particularly in, in older folk, is that they could benefit from, one, not only higher protein intakes because to help them combat sarcopenia, mm -hmm. but also based on that is that not only higher protein intakes to make sure that of that they have ample amounts of leucine, so meaning that they want to make sure that their protein sources come from more higher quality protein sources so that they can actually help overcome that leucine resistance. Sure. So the nutritional component, also activity, we can combat that there, but the nutritional component, particularly with protein intake, is, is as we age, is, is very important. It doesn't mean they need to go tank up on protein like an athlete, but it, mean, but it means that they need to be very conscious and aware of their protein intake. And, you know, recommendations – even though there are no nothing that's hard and fast, mm -hmm. I would say for that for for the older folk that you know they should probably be targeting at least uh, you know a half a gram per pound of body weight, um, which is not that much. You can get that, that through. It's that's right. Not even without ever touching it's, a shake. It's not that. Right. I mean that that should that should be the their minimum amount. Mm -hmm. Their minimum amount. Uh, but in general, I would say that they probably should at least strive. To try to get upwards around about maybe three quarters of a gram, or maybe up around a gram per mm -hmm. pound. So at that level, the way the way that most people eat, do you think that uh, can can a high protein snack and three meals get you there, or should you have a shake? Is that protein? Is that a lean source of protein, or is that a protein? Is that you know like in Texas? Is that a chicken fried steak? Mm, I know that. Don't say anything bad about chicken fried steak. Oh, no, no, <laughs> I grew up on that. You know, mashed potatoes and cream gravy right. and. Uh -huh. Um, or is it fried chicken or, you know, you're getting the protein, but you're also getting it at the expense of a lot of fat. So, right. you know, again, there's the issue of, of, okay, I'm getting my protein in, but and if somebody's already maybe overweight and they're dealing with some weight related issues and, uh, or they're dealing with some health issues related to their body fatness, then again, that's something that would have to be dealt with as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are a number of factors that could come into play, but bottom line is that, yeah, as we age, we definitely need to be conscious of our protein intake without a doubt. Even, yeah, it, just even being conscious of it. That was another thing we talked about with a couple of different people is like just starting to have 
that mindset of where you look at a plate and it kind of comes apart into the pieces, even if you're not a strict macro counter, can mm -hmm. be just an incredible thing. Do you, th do you think that, you know, there is any value for somebody in kind of taking a time saying, you know what, if nothing else, even if I don't change a damn thing, I'm going to, I'm going to count macros for the next month. I'm going to just keep track of every single thing I eat and just have that understanding. Yeah, you could. You know what I typically do? I tell them to go by the two thirds rule. Two thirds of your plate is protein. The rest third is vegetables, carbs, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever that does so not prioritize protein. protein. That's the mm -hmm. two thirds rule. Two thirds of that plate is filled up with a protein source. Mm -hmm. The rest is whatever you want on there. Mm. That way, they don't have to worry about counting macros and right. all that other stuff. See, I'm with like, you. Oh, I like, okay. I like so I'm going to put more. I'm going to put more uh, protein-related foods on my plate than I am anything else. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes that's all it might, all, mm -hmm. my, all it might take. I agree. No, I think I think that's a better way for the vast majority of people. As somebody <laughs> who has never way. counted a macro in my life. As somebody who's, as somebody <laughs> hey, you know what? They don't. They don't have. To, they don't have to be older for that. That could that could benefit everyone. You know. Right. In the grand scheme of things, the exercise piece it, it, with time is relatively simplistic. You know, mm -hmm. people can, you know, you get them a program and then they kind of, you know, they learn the program and they kind of, they generate some amount of knowledge and kind of relative competency in what they're doing and why they're doing it, how to do it. What I found is that most people, the nutrition piece totally blows their mind mm -hmm. because there are, there are so many different ways to approach your, your nutritional program. And then now if you go, if you go online, that just makes it even worse. Right. Far worse. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, okay, well, what is a carbohydrate? What's a protein? What's this? And so, okay, I've got to get this much and of this and this. Okay, well, you know, what are protein foods? What are car you know, just the basic basics of nutrition. For a lot of people, it's very, very difficult and they struggle with that. So, you know, that's why something like I tell them, I said, okay, don't worry about for right now, I want you to go by the two thirds rule. I said, that's what we're going to do for now. I know I like that simple solutions. When we were doing the Facebook Live down there, we were asking uh, him and a couple of other uh, PhDs who were down there, you know, what, what, what goes in your shaker bottle? And your answer is like, give me a meal. I like to eat. I would much rather chew them than drink them. Although, you know, a lot of times those of us in, in you know, in athletics or in physique related competing, mm -hmm. we don't always eat for taste. No, we that eat is a for, true we eat for right function, there. don't we? Yes. Do we not? Mm -hmm. We eat for function more than we do taste, particularly mm -hmm. when we're prepping. I mean, everything's bland. We eat right. almost the same things over and over again. It, you know, it, it, it ain't about taste. Only because a lot of times, it, well, we know this by 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 chewing that whole process that actually stimulates that actually stimulates gut peptides and hormones in our body to help with satiety. So you know that's you know because the body knows we're chewing on something, so we're in the process of being fed. You just slam down a protein shake, and I'll do that if I, if I'm like really hungry and I'm on the go, and I slam down a protein shake. About thirty minutes later, I'm hungrier than I was before. I was telling this to one of the guys we we're doing Seriously? a podcast with. Yeah. Those things make me so hungry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so anyway, so it's just one of those things where, again, I'd kind of rather just sit down and kind of, you know, enjoy my meal. But, mm -hmm. but again, I mean, if it's on the go, if it's right, before, you know, right after a workout, then, you know, mm -hmm. I'll slam something down. And then in about another hour and a half, then I'll, then I'll actually have a meal. You're still chewing it. You know? Yeah. No, I, I like it. We have good takeaways here. Stimulate. Don't annihilate. Get that two-thirds and yeah. chew rather than drink. Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. That's my smarter, favorite. Smarter, not harder. That's harder, right. Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. And yeah. you'll, you'll be on stage into the 50s at that point, right? Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully hopefully into, into my 60s. You know, I'm still – I mean, I, I still uh, go to shows and, and, ju and, and judge shows where, you know, we've got competitors that are like in their 70s. Mm -hmm. 
We you know, just did an article about that. The world's oldest bodybuilder. Yeah, there there are people in their eighties well, and nineties. Yeah. Yeah. even regardless of age, till you've gone through the grind. <laughs> you know, we, and we've chewed the same dirt. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of how somebody looks when they get on stage, the fact that they've gone through the process, mm-hmm. whether or not you know, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't go through it as intently as they could, but but they've still gone through the process. They're up on stage, basically wearing no clothes and in front of a bunch of other people, showing in some cases their weaknesses or whatever the case may be and you know here's another thing is that i i was i was at a i was at a show at, um about two years ago and i actually i wasn't competing i was there i was there just as a spectator i knew somebody that was competing in the show and a woman came out in the master in the, in the master's class and she was she was pretty big gal and and she you know she she was you know she's still you know she's still in terms of getting lean she still had a a ways to go and you know and she had some saggy skin and the whole thing you know and and there were some people behind me that were kind of laughing and chuckling and really and just really just hating on her well come to find out in the night show this woman had been almost 200 pounds heavier and her goal was to lose enough weight to feel good enough about herself to get on stage yeah, that's there's a lot of that this, these days. Actually, we've written an article you know, about it, that phenomenon. It's not it's about it's not about placing. It's about the grind yep. and how you feel about yourself. Do you you know? Do you feel good enough about yourself to be able to go through that process and to be able to get up and just expose yourself to any and all criticism? And for somebody to do that, you know, she she knew that she's. You look around, but for her, she had met her goal. So what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for coming and talking with us, Dr. Willby. Yes, Dr. Darren you. Willby, where can people find you online if they want to uh, learn more about you and what you do? Go online and just type my name in on a web browser. And, there you go. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and usually... Your Atari. Usually... You take out your Atari and you type in Darren. Usually the first two hits on there will be me, my affiliation with Baylor University. And from that, you can find my, my email. Um, you can also reach me through uh, peaktoperform.com. That's an online nutritional coaching uh, business that I have on the side with a couple of uh, a couple of my colleagues. Uh, and then you know you can you can search for me on on uh, Instagram or um, Facebook. I don't, I don't really do Twitter. All right. Well, we certainly appreciate you coming in and sharing so much time with us. Thank you very much. It's been an honor. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the new LG G8 ThinQ with Crystal Sound OLED included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and an 18-month lease, no trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, sprint.com slash LG, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $20 a month credit apply within two bills. Canceled early, your main balance due unlimited basic after 630-20, pay $32 per month per line without a pay, daily deep prioritization, during congestion, speed maximums, use rules and restrictions apply. 